Chapter 7 The Never-Ending Road It was a never-ending road paved with utter, unadulterated misery. My recollections of that time are many, but jumbled. Yes, we were, if one can call our dragging ourselves marching. We went along highways and byways. We went through little towns. We went through small forests, wherever the two guards led us. Food, whatever we took with us from the camp, maybe a bit of bread, was quickly gone. On this unending march, we received absolutely nothing. No food or water. We didn't even have the opportunity to relieve ourselves properly. The hunger was unbearable, relentless. From what I recall, nobody called the force marches that happened towards the end of the war death marches at the time they were happening. This was an expression that emerged post-Holocaust because of what took place during the marches. They were extremely cruel. This was already mid-April 1945, and the war was coming rapidly to an end. The American and Soviet armies approaching from both sides. The area we were in would turn out to be a historic site, the meeting point of the armies. But of course, at that point, we didn't know or care. I don't know how long we wandered on those roads. Decades later, a German acquaintance who lived in that area of Germany as a young child estimated from some old maps that we walked about a hundred kilometers. Not in a straight line, of course, from Aschersleben to Düben. As we walked through the forest, we saw corpses that looked like us, wearing ragged clothing, but filled with bullet holes. A rumor was going around that death squads, the Totenkopfverbände, in their black uniforms, were free to roam around and do whatever they liked. Sometimes they met people like us and just shot them. Words fail me in describing our absolute desperation. Some prisoners suffered exhaustion, and those of us who grew too weak to carry on were left behind. I didn't see our two guards shoot anybody. Still, we were fewer and fewer as we marched on. Some may have left our group to hide. When we went through little towns, we would forage in large garbage cans like starving animals, and when we went through open fields or along the highway, we would sometimes run into the fields, hoping something was growing there. I remember some of us digging with our fingers and finding tiny carrots and potatoes. We ate them as they were, muddy. The most bizarre memories of this march are from when we went through these towns. It was absolutely surreal. Just a few meters from us, we saw normal life. The kind we still remembered, where children went to school, adults went to work, 
and there were nicely trimmed gardens and cute curtains on the windows of the homes. While we were marching, wrapped in rags, filthy, dirty, and starving. We saw them. They looked, but they didn't really see us. They did their best to ignore our pitiful, bedraggled group. Decades later, I saw videos in the new Bergen-Belsen Memorial Museum in Germany in which ordinary Germans were interviewed and said that the authorities told them not to open their doors to people marching through because they were all criminals. So we were afraid of them, they said. One day, something quite unforgettable happened. As we were dragging ourselves along the shoulder of the highway in one direction, we saw on the other side of the highway a group of soldiers marching in the opposite direction. I had never seen dark-skinned people before. Their uniforms were in various stages of tatters, and some of them wore white turbans. This was such an unusual sight to us, we could not easily forget it. We stopped in our tracks to watch and were mortified by what we witnessed. These POWs were guarded by vicious soldiers who held huge horse whips and whipped the men mercilessly to hurry them along. By then, we Jewish prisoners had seen and experienced a lot of brutality. And yet, I'm glad to recall that we remained humane enough to still be horrified at the display of senseless sadism. We were aware that something was wrong with this situation, that the POW should have been protected by an international agreement. My memory of this day and of humans being beaten by horsewhips will never fade. Decades later, I discovered that these were most likely Sikh soldiers from India who were in the British Army, and some of them may have been from Tunisia. As we continued marching, my feet became a bloody mess in the contraption I wore, which were now unrecognizable as boots. Walking was extremely painful. The three of us began propping each other up, alternately holding up the one of us who was giving up hope. One day, sheer desperation took hold of us, and Shari and Edith said to me, Let's start begging. You look the most pitiful of the three of us, so you beg. I had no mirror to confirm this, and in any case, hunger trumped vanity, and I agreed. As we went through one of those neat little towns, I stepped out of the line and knocked on the door of a home. I clearly recall its green door. The woman of the house opened it and looked at me with shock. Trembling, I quickly told her in German that I had been walking from Aschersleben and that I was very hungry. Could she please give me something to eat? She just kept looking at me, then said in German, Warten Sie, wait. 
She turned around, and when she came back, she was holding what looked to my hungry eyes like a very large slice of bread. It was loaded with marmalade. She quickly closed the door before I had time to say, Danke, thank you, perhaps because I smelled bad. Fast as I could, I caught up with the moving line and shared every morsel of the treasure with Shari and Edith. Every night when we happened to be in a small town, our guards would ask the mayor to let us sleep in an empty barn. There were many empty barns because the German farmers in this area didn't know which army would reach their town first, the Americans or the Soviets. They feared the Russian soldiers terribly, and many families just up and left. Most of the time, the mayors refused, and we had to lie down under the sky and stars on the outskirts of town. The day after the Feast of Bread and Marmalade, evening came, and the mayor of the town we had come to permitted us to use a large abandoned barn to sleep in. There was a thin layer of straw on the earthen floor. By now, our numbers had dwindled considerably. We were hungry and exhausted, and without eating or drinking, we lay down on the ground and fell asleep. The next morning, we were awakened from our shallow sleep by a loud knock on the barn door. Disoriented and startled, we quickly set up. Someone opened the door, and there stood a tall man in the doorway, the sunshine behind him. All we could see was his dark silhouette. In a pleasant, strong voice, he addressed us in German. Fräulein. We were astonished. It was absolutely unheard of that a German would address us in a civil manner. We were used to being called everything. Verfluchte Juden, accursed Jews, or dreckige Juden, dirty Jews, all sorts of degrading names. My two camp sisters and I looked at each other. Did he really say Fräulein? We concluded that the war must be over and started to cry. Then the man continued, Fräulein, this in Fry. Young ladies, you are free. That was our first liberation. The man who was the mayor of the town asked us all to come outside. We looked around and saw white flags on all the homes, no swastikas anywhere, no trumpets or confetti either, just three quiet, magnificent words. You are free. It was a beautiful, sunny day.